Army Cadets line up before the Army-Navy Classic and are followed in a Philadelphia stadium by the Navy midshipmen. A hundred thousand people see the president toss the coin for kickoff. The fact that he's an ex-Navy man had nothing to do with the Annapolis boys winning the toss. Navy has beaten Army in the last three meetings and are slight favorites here today. Phenomenon of the day is Roger Salak, Navy sophomore quarterback. He fires a first quarter pass to Ed Marino, who gallops for a 37-yard game. A few plays later, Staubach to Neil Henderson, and Navy is off and running. This first touchdown is just one of many to come. The middies are a happy, cheering mob right now. So, that's the 1962 Army-Navy game at Municipal Stadium in South Philly. And Navy goes on to kick the living shit out of Army. Final score, 34-14. And the 1963 game is again scheduled for Municipal Stadium, November 30th, 1963, and President Kennedy is once again looking forward to tossing the coin. President John F. Kennedy, a naval hero and true football fan, was eager to attend the annual Army-Navy game on November 30th, 1963. I hope to be on the winning side when the game ends, he telegrammed the Navy coach. And why exactly did JFK telegram the Navy coach? Because he wanted Navy to win. Why? Because he was in the Navy during World War II. And he was a hero. That's like riding a thunderbolt on a corrugated road. That was a patrol torpedo boat. During the Second World War, the enemy called them devil boats and they were long shots, like pitting a chip of plywood against the steel fortresses of the Imperial Navy. I suppose because we've always gone for the David and Goliath story that there's a special place in the memory of Americans for the PT. The picture we've just finished is about one particular PT and its officers and men. I play the lieutenant in command. It's a whopping adventure story of courage and action, a story worth telling and the story of which every American can feel proud. The young man I play is a fellow from Boston. His name, Lieutenant John F. Kennedy. His boat, PT-109. What the hell are you doing? I'm killing Elvis. Oh, will you stop it? Why? Makes me nervous. Suffer. How about the old man? J.G. named Kennedy. He's had no sea duty. Says here he wrote a book. The servant under a guy like this, we rate the Purple Heart. I'll keep it in mind. I saw your friend Nesbitt ditch that cigarette butt. You can tell him for me he's in trouble. He's in real trouble. Yes, sir. I'm putting you on report for not putting Nesbitt on report. Jack, there's a boat coming out. Hold in your bow line. Mr. Kennedy. Yes, 
Yes, sir. Did you arrange this landing for my benefit, or do you always enter a new port like this? No, sir. I try to reverse my engines at too fast a speed. I'll put it on my report. Marine paratroop battalion hit Schwazil to cover for the real thing at Bougainville. To make it look big, they were ordered to split into patrols and raise scatter hell. All right, Lenny, wind him up. All right? What do you want me to do? Beach it? No, we have two LCVPs for that. Your job is to rendezvous and provide cover. I suppose you know that little gas will never get back. Somebody's kid's sister? Sorry, sir. He's very sorry, sir. No, 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 don't apologize. It's the most seaworthy thing I've seen on this boat. You can get out of here in no time. No, I'm sorry, Rogers. I'm afraid I used all that glycerin to get down here. You mean you negotiated your way out here? That's right. You put in a fix to go the wrong way? Right. Mr. Kennedy, they're fighting out here. The Pacific. The world's biggest ocean was the battlefield in World War II for the largest deployment of U.S. naval forces in history. A giant battlefield for a battle of giants. biggest stories of that mighty engagement is about one of the smallest crafts and the handful of men who sailed her. Four miles a long way. It's only three inches on the chart, buddy. I won't be able to make all the sun. You're going to have to make it. Here we are, beaten, burned, and given up for dead, living on green coconuts with no water in the middle of 15,000 Japanese soldiers. And you decide the odds are with us. It's a flaw in my character. You don't have to pull rank on me. We're not getting out of here, and I know it. We're getting out of here one way or the other. What about the natives? The natives don't do it, we'll do it another way. But we're getting out of here, we have to get in the water and drag this damned island back with it. But something happened. On the way to the 1963 Army-Navy football game. Dealey Plaza. The Texas School Book Depository. The sixth floor window. The grassy knoll. The triple underpass. Adoring crowds had met President John Fitzgerald Kennedy in Texas that late fall day, a liberal and conservative country looking for re-election votes. His beautiful wife, she in the perfect pink outfit that would forever be remembered, not like this, but instead, just an hour later, splattered with her husband's blood. As for the young president, just 46, the first U.S. leader to be born in the 20th century, not even three years in office, he would never grow older than this image, forever frozen on this Dallas day. My name is Pierce Hawn, and this is where I was standing on November 22nd. 1963. The car came very slowly and then it made the turn right behind me. I was absolutely enthralled. The president and Mrs. Kennedy looked like the first couple ought to. And then as they turned, that first loud explosive sound. 
And so it began, 72 hours that would change America. Something is wrong here. Something is terribly wrong. As their prime suspect, police seized 24-year-old Lee H. Oswald. Did you kill the president? No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. This is Pete has been shot. Oswald has been shot. Lee Oswald. Here comes the ambulance. Oswald will be removed now. Here comes Oswald. He's he is ashen and unconscious. Just couldn't believe it when I heard it. We were in school. All of a sudden, we were just told the president was dead. Down this avenue of sadness, they bring President John F. Kennedy, martyred hero, Lion State, under the great dome of the Capitol. The games postponed until December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. And I'm there at Municipal Stadium, by the way. The stadium later will be changed to, uh, the name would be changed to JFK Stadium. And here's where my story kicks in. I'm going to lead the Navy football team onto the field for the second half. And four things make my feet quite interesting. Number one. I wasn't on the Navy football team. Number two, I didn't attend the Naval Academy. Number three, in fact, I got kicked out of the program the previous year and was a civilian, a college student at Westchester. And number four, oh yeah, I didn't have a ticket. Yet, there I am, leading Roger Staubach and the boys onto the field for the second half. Here's how it happened. I played football at Tiny Clifton Heights High School in Delphill. For years, Clifton's football team was a doormat. But things start to change during my sophomore year. If memory serves, we only win three games, but we're competitive in almost every game. And we know we're going to be good next year. In junior year, we are good. In fact, undefeated. The University of Miami recruits our quarterback. He starts for three years, but as a running back behind All-American George Meyer. And we go undefeated again during our senior year. College scouts attend every game. The Gators pluck our fullback that year, but not me. The Brainiac schools are interested in me. I make visits to Penn, spend a week in New York City at Columbia, a weekend in Delaware. My parents are working class. I don't want them to endure any financial burdens for my college education. So I don't want to go to an Ivy League school because they don't offer full rides. 
Yeah, I don't want to go to Delaware. Too close to home, I guess. And then the Naval Academy comes knocking. I spend a week at Annapolis, going to sporting events, playing pickup basketball games, interviewing with Coach Harden and the athletic director, and I'm in. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm in for 25 years. One year of prep school, four years at the academy, and 20 years on active duty. Navy had a special process for recruiting their athletes back then. You get what's called a fleet at large appointment. So first, you enlist in the Navy, which I do during the spring of my senior year in high school at the Navy Yard in South Philly. I attend monthly meetings in uniform, and then two weeks after graduation, I go active duty straight to boot camp at Great Lakes, Illinois, somewhere between Chicago and Milwaukee. I spend the entire summer boot camp, by the way, a hot summer, doing all those boot camp things. Early morning revel, marching to the chow hall, calisthenics, more marching in formation, classes and drills, simulated survival at sea in the water, swimming pool, sharpshooter training, shaving my peach fuzz twice a day to pass inspection, and lights out early. The big thrill is going to the PX on Sunday and getting a candy bar, a giant-sized Hershey with almonds. Then, on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, they round up 40 of us. Never saw any of these other guys before. They put us on a Navy transport plane and fly us to Baltimore. From there, a Navy bus takes us to Bainbridge, Maryland, where we'll be attending the Naval Academy Prep School, NAPS for short, NAPS. By the way, Roger Staubach went a similar route, but he chose the New Mexico Military Institute. We arrive late that night, and the bus takes us straight to the field house to get our football clip, because practice is scheduled for early on Labor Day morning, and it's hot and humid, and not a light practice. Full pads, even though it's our first practice. I weigh into practice at a sleek 195 pounds, and weigh out at 178. That's right, I left 17 pounds of sweat on the field that morning. Coach Perkins welcomed us with an old-fashioned ass-kicking. So, I spent the school year at Naps, attending classes, playing on both the football and the basketball teams. We played a nifty schedule, a demanding schedule, against college freshman teams, Army, Navy, Temple, junior colleges, trade schools, and military bases. And I formed friendships that last to this day with classmates now all around the world. Our classes are all designed to max us out on the college sports because in theory, we're competing with the entire fleet with anyone and everyone in the Navy who also wants to attend the academy. Classes are great. I score 790s on the boards and I'm in. I get my appointment. Classes are over. We have a couple weeks before the beginning of plebe summer. Nothing to do but play softball, pick up basketball during the day, and go to the EM club at night trying to hook up with waves. But then comes one of the worst days of my life. 
Less than a week before the beginning of Bleep Summer, I get kicked out of the program. Rather not go into that right now. Too long a story. Anyway, there I am, bawling my eyes out as I watch the buses pulling away, heading to Annapolis with all my classmates, teammates, and buddies aboard, and me standing there with my thumb up my ass. But I survived, get an honorable discharge, recommended for re-enlistment, and with my military obligation fulfilled, that's part of our deal. Quit, get thrown out, flunk out, or not qualify on the boards, military obligation fulfilled. So, instead of 25 years, I wind up with 13 months of active duty. And next, I wind up at Westchester. I remain close with one of my NAFS buddies, a Mr. Lloyd Ted Holland. From Independence, Kansas, all-state football and basketball, and one handsome dude. Holly and I stay in touch all the while. In fact, I hook him up with a date on the night after the 1962 Army-Navy game. A gorgeous girl from Virginia. We partied some hotel in Philly, but that's another story. So, here we are. The 1963 Army-Navy football game. About an hour before kickoff, I walk up to one of those big gates near the end zone. And there's Holly explaining to the guard that I'm part of a skit. Now, I'm wearing a NAPS jacket I borrowed from the basketball team, so I look legit. The guard opens the gate, and there I am. Step inside, standing on the edge of the field, in the end zone. No ticket means no seat. So, what next? Hmm. Might as well watch the game from the bench. So I trot around the back of the end zone to the Navy bench on the other side of the field. And holy shit, there's my old Naps classmate, Orlin Scrivener. He was a manager on the Naps football team. And he's serving a similar capacity here, working the bench as a manager. And he's got an unforgettable accent. I think he was from Arkansas, somewhere like that. We say hello. Then Scrivener scrounges up a towel for me. I throw it over my shoulder, act like I belong there, and I spend the first half on Navy's bench. I see a couple of my former NAPS classmates, Jim Angel, Ron Hartnett, both dressed for the game and playing. I just say hi and leave them alone. I don't want to be a detraction from their mental state for the game. Jimmy was one of the top-rated quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school from Miami High, but with Roger Staubach at quarterback, Jimmy's returning kicks and punts and playing D-back. Ronnie's a lineman from Fort Lauderdale if memory serves. Just bullshitting during halftime. But then a bunch of midshipmen come out and form a funnel right next to me. I look around and I notice three things. Number one, here comes the team. Number two, there's a TV camera. And number three... I'm standing at the end of a tunnel. So, I put two and two together real quick, come up with four. I wait until the first player gets close, then I jump in front of him and leave the Navy football team onto the field for the second half, waving that towel over my head round and round. Next day, back at school, I run into a couple buddies. Yo, is that you on TV yesterday at the Army-Navy game? Perfect timing on my part. By the way, Navy won 21-15, to 
And wrapping up, here's a picture from several years ago. A while back, I posted about living at 35 East 35th Street in Manhattan. Holly and I were roommates until we married a stewardess from Cincinnati. That's a wedding picture. Holly's on the left. I'm on the right. Here's a little look ahead. Sometime next week, I'm going to be talking about the crime series Lilyhammer and its creator, in my mind a genius, little Stevie Van Zandt. If you're a rock and roller, you should remember Stevie with Bruce Springsteen. And now just a quick plug for Born to be Wild, classic saga about outlaw motorcycle gangs, a true story published more than 30 years ago by Warner Books, still selling. So that's it for now. Thanks for stopping in. Really appreciate it. Until next time. See you. And that's a wrap.